Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your faithful, trusty, tireless, relentless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a VIP for you today. Man, do we have a great show for you today. The one and only Ezra Brown here with us, hailing from L.A. originally, now in San Diego, has an exciting show at uh, ThinkSpace here in L.A. right now. And I am just so excited to talk to Ezra. Ezra, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. Man, I love your story because your story is so inspirational and I think a lot of people should take heart and, you know, be inspired by it because, you know, forgive the phrase, my friend, but you're a bit, when it comes to being an artist, you're a bit of a late bloomer. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as I understand it, it took a global pandemic for you to finally sort of embrace your inner artist and start expressing yourself in the world artistically. I mean, let's start there. I think that's so inspiring for people because I think there's a lot of people out there who are maybe, you know, maybe too shy, too insecure, too, I don't know, too timid to really embrace that inner artist and start expressing themselves. And, you know, and they can take inspiration from your journey. I mean, what was that internal battle did you have an internal battle, you know, in terms of like, am I an artist? Am I ever going to make art? And then what was it about the pandemic that really kicked you in the butt and got you going? Well, yeah, I was battling with an inner struggle because I was doing artwork prior to that and working a nine to five. And unfortunately, you know, it wasn't really taking off. And I came to a point where it was just one of those things where, okay, I'm going to just stop doing this. I'm going to work a nine to five and I'll be happy with that. And at the time I was doing school bus driving and unfortunately the pandemic hit. Well, unfortunately, fortunately. And then I stayed at home and decided to just take a chance on myself. And believe it or not, it panned out. I mean, cause I was saving money. I started investing on other things like making product for myself. I actually made a vinyl toy that took off and it was one of those like eye rubbing moments where it's like, I couldn't believe it. And then here I am. Yes. On the not real art podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> yeah. it because, you know, as the name implies, right. I mean, you know, there is no, and there should not be a one size fits all to making art, to becoming an artist, the journey of being an artist. You know, it's a dance. It's a scenic route. It's a struggle. And I just want people to be inspired by that and, and realize that they too can finally make that leap, that jump to express themselves and tell their stories, you know? And what I love about your artwork is the humanity of it, because of course you are taking these, how should I say, you know, kind of familiar iconography, if you will, you know, hearkening back to classic animation or Disney or what have you and humanizing these characters that, 
you know, one might think, oh, they're supposed to be happy and they're supposed to be, you know, whimsical. And yet you are putting them in, shall we call them kind of real life situations or predicaments where they're feeling, you know, real emotions. You know, maybe they're not so happy. Maybe things are not going so well because life is real. The struggle is real. And you're, you know, and your characters are feeling that struggle. Yeah. And that's exactly what I wanted to portray because during that time, we were all going through something. We we're all going through something. And I just felt that it was the perfect time to actually display my emotions, other people's emotions, and kind of make it like a visual diary. And people just gravitated towards it. So I just said, you know what, this is something I can actually really gravitate towards too. And I can continue to make work off of it. So I was really surprised at how like raw feelings can actually convey such like crazy experiences through other people because then conversations start through there. They start telling you their things that they've been going through or, you know, just random things that they might want to talk to somebody about that they normally couldn't. Right. Well, and what I love about it, too, is that we're living in, you know, and I'm using over these phrases, these catchphrases, you know, we're living in polarized times and all that stuff. Right. Right. And, you know, we've got to find those connection points. We've got to find those spaces, those places, those events, those things that bring us together and demonstrate that we're all human and we're not really, I mean, yes, we might be in a struggle right now a little bit politically or whatever, but the truth is, you know, we're all humans having a human experience on this common planet. And your artwork, I think, reminds us of that. You know, it's like, look, man, we're all in this together. Right. And that's mainly what I always try to put into my work. It's that realistic element, even though it does have bright, bubbly colors or cartoon characters. You hit the nail on the head. It's just one of those things where I kind of wanted to pull their curtain back. And say, hey, there's people that actually draw these things, people that actually feel. And yeah, the cartoon character is supposed to convey this bubbly, happy feeling. But sometimes I don't feel like that. Right. Yeah, I'm sort of imagining, you know, Mickey Mouse, like leaving Disneyland, you know, like just like sad, tired, depressed, needs a drink, you know, walks into a bar, you know, sits there. How funny would that be if you just saw Mickey Mouse sitting there, you know, hunched over in a bar? (laughs) Yeah. And and you know what? That's the whole thing. It's like most of these corporations don't want to give you that side. They just want to feed you with like this dopamine of like, hey, everything's fine. Everything's going okay. Well, the world's crumbling outside. And yet you're supposed to still have a smile on your face and just not care. Right. Yeah. And what I love about your art and what you're doing is that you are using juxtaposition to shine a light on the reality and the struggle because it's, it is part of the human experience, right? Like you can't have the light without the dark, right? You can't have the happy without the sad. You can't have the good without the bad. And, you know, we shouldn't be, it feels like our culture you know, we use this word a lot these days, you know, shaming, right? We shame this person, we shame that person, right. not supposed to shame. And it's almost like we're shaming reality. Like we're shaming our humanity because, you know, you're supposed to be like, oh, I'm an optimist. You know, like you hear these people say, well, I'm an optimist. Like it's almost like a cult, you know what I mean? Like the cult of positive thinking. It's like, no, 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 guys, it's not all good. It's not all Mm -hmm. good. In fact, there's a lot of shit out there, you know, and yes, there's good things and yes, there's bad things. And let's have a real conversation. And that's like the key aspect of what social media is. It's like it just shows your highlights, like everything you want to show people that's good is on social media. With the, you know, rare exception that you do see certain situations that are happening around the world. But most times it's just everyone's happy. Everyone looks good. Everybody has a perfect life, and yet we really don't live that way. And that's one thing that I want people to understand. It's not all about everything being great and wonderful. There is problems. There are bills to be paid. There are jobs that we need to go to. So it's tough. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because there's the flip side as well, which is, and I was having this conversation the other day about our national news media apparatus, right? Which is a for-profit entity, right? So there are all about 
you know, trying to sell advertising and sell clicks and stuff. And so I think what we've learned is stoking fear is good for clicks, is good for viewers. And so if you just listen to the national media, it feels like everything is horrible. It feels like the world is going to shit. And yes, there are problems. And yes, we have real things to deal with. But that's all we've always had real problems and real issues to deal with, you know, mm-hmm. and I've almost gotten to a point where I've decided, you know what, I'm not going to listen to national news anymore. Because if I look around my community, that old saying about all politics are local, it's like, yeah, yes, here in LA, like we're dealing with real shit, homelessness and disparity of opportunity right. and all of really, really important things. But there's also, you know, things to be optimistic about, things to be positive about, because guess what? You and I are here talking. You and I are doing what we can do. I know other people that are doing shit that they can do. And so that's the democracy in action. That's the hope, you know. And so if you're not really paying attention, you might think that everything is horrible. There are a lot of horrible things if you listen to the national media. You know, so on one hand, you have, to your point, you have brands like Disney who say, okay, everything's happy all the time in our four walls of Disney, (laughs) you know, if you can afford to get in, by the way, because of course, you know, these fucking tickets now, man, like you can't, you know, who can afford these fucking things? And and, I I didn't know we could curse. I didn't know we could curse. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I drop F-bombs left and right. So join the party. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't fucking know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we try to keep it real here, not real art. But it's true, right? That it's very interesting. And that's the thing too, like being a father too is, is even scarier because you want to teach your kids how to go about the world doing the right thing, but you can only control what you have in your home. Once they step out, that's a whole different ball game. What they see on social media, what they do with their friends, what they hear, it's impossible to just, you know, hold in a bubble and try to make them understand that the world is a fucked up place. Yeah. But you can be a better person. Mm -hmm. But when social media is showing you a different side of it, it's like, holy shit, (laughs) I can only do so much to tell you what not to do. But in the end, it's up to them to decide. Yeah. And, you know, all we can do is, and I have two kids under 10, so I don't know how old your kids are, but, but I'm, I'm feeling it. She, yeah. What, how she old are your kids? Driving. How old are you? Oh, yeah, they're driving? I only have one daughter. Yeah. A daughter, she's 17. Oof. <laughs> driving. <Yeah>. Oh, my God. <laughs> the idea that my son is going to get behind the wheel. I don't worry about my daughter so much. My, my daughter's a pretty cautious person. But my son, oh my God, help us all. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> yeah, to well, st- well, stop I, driving when he starts driving. Yeah. I have one daughter, but she's real, you know, social. She loves her friends. She loves going out. Yeah. And just having her behind the wheel is a nervous wreck for me because it's like she's all over the place. She wants to talk. She, yeah. you know, she's really easily distracted. Right. Well, she's 17. <laughs> I know I was distracted driving at 17, that's for sure. But then you have, you know, we're living in such a crazy time because, you know, it's not even so much that you're worried about your daughter driving. It's all the other drivers on the road and what the heck they're on. You know, are they texting? Are they, you know, on some sort of gummy bear or whatever that's going to impair their, you know, (laughs) I mean, the gummies are real messed. (laughs) Yeah, they hit hard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and by the way, I mean, you know, talking about like external kinds of things, you know, I had a buddy, you know, his daughter, you know, she's 16 and they were at the school dance and he and I came up, you know, we did our fair share of nonsense. But, you know, I was asking about his daughter, you know, Emma, and I was just like, well, how's Emma doing? He's like, well, she's doing better now. I'm like, what happened? He's like, well, she overdosed. I was like, what? What do you mean she overdosed? You know what I mean? Because like, you know, you're right. Like, so just like you, my mind went to Mm -hmm. heroin, cocaine, whatever, pharmacy, fentanyl, you know, whatever. She's fine, by the way. She's fine. But what had happened was one of her girlfriends had a pocket full of gummy bears and Mm. they were just, they had never ingested, you know, THC before like that or, you know, and so they just started eating these gummy bears. Well, they ate four or five or six a piece, you know, and then they, they were comatose, oh you know, at the <laughs> oh dance. <my> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I have a similar story. My wife and I were at a pop-up I was invited to, and my daughter and her best friend, they play on a softball team. 
and one of their teammates was having a quinceanera. And it was, since we lived close to TJ, Mm -hmm. it was in TJ. Mm -hmm. So I said, fine, you can go with your best friend. We're good friends with her mom. So they took off. My wife and I get home around 10 o'clock. And we get the phone call that I don't ever wish any parent getting. Her best friend's mom calls us and tells us, I'm rushing your daughter to the ER. I'm like, what the hell? Fast forward at the ER, come to find out she ingested a gummy at the party. And I'm like, holy freaking cow. Like, this is like insane. Because as a parent, you never expect your kids doing that. Right. But you have to be prepared for those moments. Yeah, you do. And that's the vulnerability part, right? Because our heart, somebody described it to me like as a parent, like it's like your heart walking outside of your body, you know, in the world, like that's how vulnerable you feel, you know, but well, I'm I'm glad she's okay. I take it. She's back uh, behind the wheel. (laughs) 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 After a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I bet. Well, I'm glad all, uh, all is well. So let's go back because while you use the pandemic to really kind of double down as an artist and come out, so to speak, as an artist, you know, kind of professionally or full time, you know, the 10,000 hours rule is very real, right? Like in terms of like mastering a craft, mastering a technique, a tool, a medium. So in your, the precision of your craft, I mean, your work is really refined and really, you know, it's clear that you have your 10,000 hours. So clearly 10,000 plus. So take us back. I mean, when did you start drawing and painting? You know, were you playing with it, you know, as a hobby sort of in the run up? And then obviously the pandemic allowed you to kind of double down, like take us back to the real beginning when you picked up a pencil or picked up a paintbrush. Well, it sounds kind of cliche, but my dad used to be an artist. Okay. Yep. And he used to paint landscapes Mm -hmm. and I literally have like a Bob Ross at my home. Yeah. Growing up. Right. And naturally, I just gravitated towards artwork at a very young age and just continued throughout my lifespan. But when I really took it seriously was when I was graduating high school. I kind of took a couple, you know, college classes, wasn't really good at school. And my grandmother, she made a comment where it's like, why are you going to keep struggling with your studies when artwork comes so easily to you and naturally? You should just enroll in an art school. So I said, okay. So I enrolled at the Academy of Art in San Francisco, went up there, did about three and a half years, smoked a lot of pot, (laughs) and never graduated. (laughs) (laughs) But you drew a lot. (laughs) I drew a lot. And you know what? It was an eye-opener because they showed me techniques that I otherwise would have never understood. Sure. Because there's people that have that general concept of doing something. But if they don't have any kind of education behind it or somebody teaching them, then they're never really going to grab the whole experience, you know, because knowing how to draw is one thing, but having somebody teach you certain techniques like perspective, shadow, all this stuff, it opens up your mind. It's almost like the matrix. Like I was downloaded the information. (laughs) Took the red pill or whatever. Yeah. Took the red pill. So once that happened, I came back to L.A. I was, you know, doing art shows here and there. And it was just one of those things where I just continued to pursue the artistic dream while I was working a nine to five. And eventually I just, you know, kept doing it, kept meeting people. I moved to Long Beach and then from Long Beach, I moved to TJ. And in TJ, it was kind of funny because I met some people that really helped me become a better artist because I met a couple kids that would do street art. We did some events and then I started moving back to the States, went to San Diego. I met this guy named Andre Power, who actually is a really well-known DJ. And he gave me my first introduction to an art show in the United States. So I started doing shows there and eventually I gravitated towards other things in San Diego. But like I said, it wasn't really going anywhere. It was just one of those things where it was just part-time artists doing the nine to five. And it got to the point where it's like I said, I was ready to throw in the towel and started doing bus driving. Kids are crazy. 
pandemic hits. And then I saved up all my money I was getting from the pandemic. And I was still painting. And my whole goal in life was to actually have a physical toy, like of my artwork. So I did the drawings. I sent them to China. They came back with this like amazing toy. This company called Tenacious Toys actually took an interest in me because at the time I had the full amount of money to actually fund the project, but I didn't want to go like bankrupt. Like I didn't want to like spend all my money. Right. And a friend of mine who I used to play Fortnite with, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He had mentioned to me that he knew somebody at Tenacious Toys. So I kind of, you know, gave him my proposal. He loved it. He gave me a blank check and we finished the toy. I tell you one thing. I did not realize how crazy or intertwined the collectible market was to the art world. Right, right. Once that toy came out, it was like a game changer for me. And I was just like in awe how good of a response it got. From there, I just said, you know what? I'm going to take the chance now. It's like it's now or never because I've just kind of been like fucking around with it. And it was that moment where like my father used to tell me either shit or get off the pot. Yep. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it. Let's just put all our chips in and see where this leads us. I got an opportunity to do an art show here in San Diego. That's where I picked up my agent. At first I was in like too sure because like, you know, people say I want to rep you. I want to like do things for you. And it was kind of one of those skeptical moments, but I took the chance. He was a legit dude. He's helped me out with, you know, a bunch of things. And within that same year, I got a show in London. I was in Miami. And then now I'm at ThinkSpace. <laughs> Look at I'm you go, you, Ezra. It, that's that's like, like sort of a Cinderella well, yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy because it's like you did make a really good point. It's like I'm a late bloomer, but I've been doing it for such a long time that I've been waiting for my opportunity to hit. So when that whole thing that people say it's like you just got to keep pushing you got to keep doing it you got to keep believing it sounds so fucking cliche but it is the reality of it it's the reality of it for sure then i'm reminded of that phrase there's a couple phrases that come to mind you know like the old idea about the harder you work the luckier you get but but basically something about like success is like preparation meets opportunity, right? Like the idea that you've done the homework, you've got, you know, like you're ready. And when the time comes, you're ready, right? right? Yeah. These little things can be attributed to so many things, like especially like in sports, you're on that fucking bench. But as soon as the coach puts you in, you better fucking put in 110% of what it is you got so they keep you out there. Yeah. And that's how I was. I was just sitting on the bench waiting for my opportunity. And when my name was called, I just did what I knew I I could do. Yeah, man. That's such a beautiful story. You know, there's a lot there because, I mean, part of, and we sort of hinted at this a little bit already, which is this idea of like the advantage to you being this late bloomer, so to speak, is that you were of a certain age, whatever that age was, but you had had a lot of life experience, you know, and Mm -hmm. to the extent that being an artist is about being a storyteller, or having a point of view, you know, a unique point of view, you know, that comes from experience. You know, it's like I once talked to an artist who went to art school and, you know, they got their MFA or whatever, and that's one path. But I had asked them, what did art school teach you? And they said, well, going to art school taught me how to see, you know, Mm -hmm. and I thought that was a really interesting, I hadn't heard that before. And I really liked that. And, you know, but the flip side of that too is I would frame it like it feels like you know, whether you go to art school or not, the journey of being an artist is about the journey of finding one's voice and mm-hmm. what you're trying to say. And man, I mean, you have, that's why I think your work is resonating because there's integrity there and people sense that, feel that, and know that you have a unique point of view and you're expressing yourself in a personal way. And you know, the funny thing is when I was doing this in my earlier stages, I always felt that I could get to this point I just didn't know how, but I felt like I could create work that people would really like. I could actually do murals. I can do like all these other things that other artists were doing. I felt it within me 
but I just didn't know how I was going to get there. And like you said, when the time came, it's like I had all the tools already with me to continue the process. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what you're suggesting and what you're saying, you know, I think is a really important point because I think that the conventional players in the art world, put it that way, would want to, you know, kind of historically anyway, have wanted to sort of dictate the one true path, right? Like this is the one true path to being a legitimate artist when in fact that's bullshit, right? Like that's one path, right? It's one path, but there are so many other paths, right? For an artist to discover themselves and bring their art to the world and tell their story. And that's one of the things I want people to take away from your story, which is that idea that, yeah, man, no, I mean, you took the scenic route, you know, you, you had, you had it in you. And by the way, shout out to your grandmother who had the wisdom, you know, and the love to be able to say, honey, like, this is your calling. Like this is, she didn't use those words, maybe, but like, she was like, why are you trying to be this when you're clearly that? (laughs) And you know what? That's the truth. It's like now in this day and age, you just got to do what makes you happy. You got to do what makes you happy. And I have a funny story that, you know, you talk about taking like the traditional path to art. When I was starting out and I was living in TJ, I had a friend who had an opportunity to actually throw an art show. So she was curating her first show. And I don't know if you're familiar with TJ or if your listeners are as well, but there's a place in TJ that's called the Hialeah. They used to play Hialeah in there. Well, they converted it into a music hall. And this thing is huge. Yeah. And she was taking over the general admission area where you could stand and watch the concert. So she asked me to be part of the show. I said, sure. I went to check out the venue. And mind you, like I said, this is huge. So I I had in my mind, like, dude, I'm going to come up with this huge installation. I'm going to blow their socks off. This is going to be one of the best shows ever. And at the time, I was part of this artistic collective. So I told my friend, let me take the left side of this whole venue. Like, let me just take it all. And she was like, what the hell? Like, you want this whole entire side? I'm like, yeah, let me just do it. And at that time, I was living at this house that had this huge backyard. So I built like this little shanty town in my backyard. Yeah. Disassembled it, took it to that venue, reassembled it. And the night before they had a concert and they had the cleaning crew there and they were picking up stuff. And I told the cleaning crew, just leave it all a mess. Just give it like that raw look. They had the police barriers. We put up clothing lines. We put our merch. We put all our art in here. And it was like a whole experience. And at the time, too, my buddy was working for uh, the Tecate distillery. So he gave me two kegs, like two huge kegs. By the way, that's a good friend to have. (laughs) Don't don't lose that friend. Are you kidding me? (laughs) So we decided to just have like a party. And the other side of the venue was the traditional. They had their easels up. They had these like still lives, these figure drawings. It was just like beautiful work. And here we are, like these punk rock kids, not giving a fuck, throwing a party, giving out free beer. Everybody's coming to our booth, buying artwork. And it's it, it's a great time. And then here come these people. And they start telling us, who the fuck are you? You guys are just losers. You guys suck. Your art's horrible. Why are people even coming here? And I stood back and I said, you know what? I don't give a fuck. It's like I'm providing an experience for somebody to enjoy themselves. My artwork's here for them to see. And I'm tired of like the norm. Like this is like what we've been used to just watching art on a wall, walking away from it, having a drink and forgetting about it. I'm creating an experience that somebody's going to remember. Yeah. And talk about for the rest of their life. Yep. And that's been my whole mentality. It's like want to create experiences for people to actually talk about instead of just forget about and then never even think twice about it. That's such an important point you're making. And I mean, by the way, so classic too, right? Because I mean, I feel like throughout art history, right? The the artists that we celebrate now were as geniuses were disruptors then because the status quo or the intelligentsia or the gatekeepers of the day said, 
no, 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 you can't do it like that. That's not art, you know? And here you are again in that story, you know, challenging the status quo and creating that emotional, that experience that creates emotion and builds that connection. And that's what art should do, man. And and I feel that because I used to get so bummed out because as an artist, you spend so much time creating your work. And once it's up on a wall, for somebody just not really appreciate it that much, it kind of like would fuck with me a lot. Yeah. But I had to like, I don't know, step away from that feeling and just realize like not everybody's going to have the same effect or feeling towards a piece you create. But if you create an environment where be- people can actually be present, that speaks more than what the artworks on the wall trying to convey. Well, and by the way, you know, I don't know what year that was that you were talking about, but we can certainly point to over the last 10 years, certainly, certainly 10 years, if not more, the, this explosion of what we'll call experiential art or immersive art, you know, whether it's like, you know, for example, the guys at Meow Wolf or Love It or Hate It, Burning Man or whatever. I mean, the point is, is that people are going to a space and a place that is immersive and is gives them, you know, a complete and total sensory kind of experience, right? And I think that's, you know, a hundred years from now, we'll, you know, certainly take all this for granted. But I think the art historians, you know, a hundred years from now will look back on this time as sort of being this time of transition in the art world where 2D art became 3D and 4D and, you know, and immersive. And then now we have AI. Oh, woo. AI art is <laughs> <Do> crazy. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, it's also like a renaissance period because we just are coming out of a pandemic. Like, when in the fuck would you have been able to say that? Like, you know, I just came out of a fucking pandemic that almost wiped the whole entire existence on this earth. And now I'm trying to create something that people can actually enjoy. It almost felt bad because when I was getting all this, you know, like recognition, I felt bad celebrating it because I would see people's businesses like going to the shithole. Right. People having the worst possible time they could possibly experience. And here I am like, oh, I'm starting an art career in the worst (laughs) possible time. And it's like, what the fuck? It's like, I can't be a dick and celebrate this, you know? That's life, isn't it? I mean, these kind of, you know, people say life is unfair. I I say it's worse than that. I say it's indifferent, you know, like, like the universe is indifferent and like, that's a perfect example. I mean, it's like, of course you deserve to be happy. Of course you deserve to come out as an artist and enjoy some success, you know? And yet at the same time, because you're an empathetic human being who has compassion, you know, you're looking around saying, you know, oh man, you know, like there's a lot of people suffering and, and that's the irony and the contradiction of life, right? Like, you know, good things, bad things, you know, but we have to enjoy the moments because, you know, today and tomorrow's not promised. And, and you know, what's even crazy. It's like that butterfly effect. Like if the fucking pandemic would have never happened, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. That's the crazy thing. It's like, if this tragic moment would not have happened, I would not be celebrating the success. Yes. And it may be even deeper than that, too, because part of what you did was you made a choice, right? Like you chose to go this way and not that way. And we make choices every day, you know, global pandemics notwithstanding, like the power of a choice, you know, to say, oh, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that or I'm going to go this way and not that way. You know, these have intended and unintended consequences, right, for good, bad and indifferent. And so, you know, the power of a choice is important. And certainly the pandemic forced, you know, all kinds of choices that maybe people didn't want to have to make. But in good times or in healthy times, so to speak, we have we're making choices, you know, every day. And for those people that need to hear this, you know, sometimes you need to choose you. You need to bet on you. You need to take that risk. You know, you can't if you want an extraordinary life or if you want an extraordinary life, you need to make extraordinary choices like you can't, you know, make conventional safe choices and be mad that you have a 
boring life. <laughs> you know, maybe, right? 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 You know, right. I don't know. Some people can't conceptualize that because they feel that they're owed things, you know, and that's the problem. It's like you see the success now, but you don't see everything that has that's right. led up to this. That's right. That's right. And it's that classic thing where it's like, I put in all this work to get up to this point and it looks easy, but the shit I had to go through to get here. Yeah. That's where the real story is. Right. Right. Yeah. They don't see that. Right. And that's what I feel like some of our generation is lacking because they're impatient. They want the now instant gratification. And I tried to teach my daughter that, but it's hard because like I said, you can only do so much within your inner circle. And once they step away, that's where it's tough because they've got their friends. Right. They've got people telling them things. And you just hope that they one day grasp the idea of what hard work is and what putting in the work means. And not just thinking that, oh, it's going to happen with a wave of a magic wand and I'm instantly be TikTok famous or go viral or some shit like that. Boy, you just hit the nail on the head because I mean, not only are we battling the toxic nature of sort of, you know, instant gratification and that dopamine hit, you know, that comes Mm -hmm. with a like or a follow, but it's this, we're also living in this culture where, you know, so many people want to be famous, right? And fame doesn't equal fortune. And I think that they think that, right? Like, it's like, yes. it's like, You're, oh, I'm going to be so famous right. and everything will be fine. No, 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 asshole. Like, fame doesn't mean, you know, I know a lot of broke, famous, famous broke motherfuckers. Like, you know. You're talking to them. <laughs> it's so funny, too, because people have this d- delusion that it's like, if you have an X amount of followers on Instagram or social media, you're just fucking, like, got shit ton of money. And that's not even true. That's not even true. It's like funny because like, let's say you could have a hundred thousand followers. You have a website, you're selling stuff. Are a hundred thousand people buying that? No, you probably get like two people out of that. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And it's classic too, because, you know, and history repeats itself. If you know, if you don't know, you know, your history, like I, I came up, you know, in the seventies and eighties and worked in the late eighties, nineties in advertising and marketing and, you know, consumer brands and out of Chicago. And, you know, in back in those days, you know, marketing was kind of easy, right? Cause you had, you had, you had print, you had TV, you had radio and, and outdoor billboards. Like that was it, right? There was no social, there was none of that shit, but you know, direct mail, direct mail marketing is, was a, is a real thing, right? This is all the shit we get in the mail, right? Like, you know, direct mail marketing. And yeah. before the internet, that was a huge business, huge business. And you just knew as a rule that if you sent out a million direct mailers, right? Direct marketing mailers. So you mm-hmm. sent out a million, like you would only project like one to 3% of a conversion, right? And so, right. so to your point, right? Like a hundred thousand followers, like, yeah, only two people are going to fucking buy anything. Cause you know, at the end exactly. of the day, like people are just not moving. They're not, <laughs> they don't do shit. You know? And that's why I tell people, it's like, I'm still fucking broke. Don't get it wrong. It's like, yes, I am experiencing some success and it's slowly getting there, but it's not to the point where it's like, Hey, Fargan, I can go eat at a five-star restaurant and buy like a hundred thousand dollar car. Like, no, I'm still living a regular life. I'm working more than what I would be at a nine to five. Yes. <laughs> but that's the reality of it. In order for you to be able to do what it is you want, you have to make those sacrifices and put in the extra work. Absolutely. And that again gets back to kind of the culture that we live in because you, you talk about instant gratification. It's like everybody wants a quick fix. Everybody wants the, the they think there's a silver bullet. It's like, oh, you know, follow mm-hmm. these, follow these 10 steps, do this a secret strategy. And it the implication is that then suddenly the world opens up and everything is fine. And the reality is there's nothing glamorous about being a small business owner. And as an artist, mm-hmm. you're a small business owner. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, you got to make the donuts. You got to make the art which is his own mindset and, and set of muscles. And then you got to pivot into, 
the business side, you know, you know, invoicing, billing, you know, yeah, tax marketing taxes. The <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the shitty part too, because it's like you get a good payday, but a percentage of that goes back to the government. Yeah. And you're like, fuck, man, it's like you're not getting anywhere, but you're doing what you want. And there is huge compensation in that. And, 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 you know, we don't, I mean, listen, there's still real bills to pay and we still need real money Mm -hmm. to pay them. But the fact that, that you and I get to wake up every morning and go do something that we love, like that's a compensation, like that's beyond money. The old saying, like some people are so poor or some people are so poor that all they have is money. You know, at the end of the day, you know, you and I have the luxury and the privilege and the call it wealth of being able to go do something that we're meant to do and love to do. And it's a privilege and an honor to do it. But man, you know, I mean, it's it's still, you know, it's still work and you still got bills to pay. And so let's not get it twisted. You know, yet yes, people should follow their bliss and follow their passion and do what they love. But don't think that that means it's all smooth sailing or wine and roses or you're yeah. going to be rich because you likely you're not going to be. No, you'll, you'll make just enough to get by. <laughs> and pay the mortgage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, hopefully have health care. You know, which is like you hey, know oh, a whole yeah, other, thing, other thing. You know, don't get hurt. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, don't don't get any paint in your eye. Uh, you're gonna <laughs> yeah, I, <was> <laughs> I make sure it's not Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's just it too. I mean, a lot of people don't think about how you know, art making can be not just a very laborious, physically laborious kind of endeavor, but it's a, it can be a toxic poisonous endeavor as well, because you're working with all kinds of paints and veneers and, you know, chemicals and whatever. Right. Yeah, most definitely. So I have to confess, you know, I'm a little, a little shamed, a little embarrassed, but I, I'm, I'm man enough Uh-oh. to be able to confess Ezra that I have not seen your show at Think Space. How are you feeling about it? How's it going? What, you know, what do people need to know about your show at ThinkSpace? Well, first off, Andrew is an amazing dude. Yeah, right. He's the owner of a ThinkSpace gallery. I cannot say enough good things about that guy. He's, he's an amazing guy. I, I'm forever grateful for him giving me the opportunity to actually show at his gallery and especially in the main gallery. So he gave me this amazing opportunity And I feel like the opening was an experience to have because I hired a 1920s inspired band. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Those two guys, yeah, a guy on a guitar and a banjo, and then he'd bring out the clarinet. So I kind of wanted to give it like that Disney feel, Mm -hmm. even though you weren't at Disney. Right. I'm really excited about the collection. You know, it's the first time I do a full collection with color because normally I'm, I'm used to working with black and white. So this actually livened up the collection a lot and it actually tells a story about my two characters which are happy and joy it's like a breakup and then all the stuff people go through throughout a breakup but you know and at the end it's a tragic story where happy ends up dying and it's ironic because the character's name is happy but he's far from that yeah anything but yeah, so you should check it out. I will, man. I will. I love it too because you're you're from what I'm hearing, right? I mean, you're bringing that experience to it as well, right? It's not just about paintings on a wall. I plan to maybe do something about a lot bigger when I when I get a chance at my next show. So that'll be awesome. What is ahead for you this year moving forward? What are you What are you looking forward well, to? Right now, got invited to do Powwow Hawaii, but not a wall, just like artwork. Mm-hmm. And then next year, I plan to have a show in March at the YOD Gallery in Japan. Nice. So, yeah, so everything's kind of lining up. I was supposed to do it this September, Mm -hmm. but the dates were a little bit too close to one another. So I wanted to have enough time to create a good body of work for a solo show out there. Because the overseas market has been really resonating with my artwork, and that's just crazy. Love that. It's really crazy. So I, I've tried to continue to, you know, make prints or, or send merchandise I have out there because I work with this gallery, gallery con- called Hunt Tokyo, who does all their work online. And they've been really like jazzed about my stuff. So now 
the next step is to actually go there physically and have a show. Yeah. Well, it seems like meeting your agent was a seminal milestone moment for you so many years ago. It feels like we need to like shout out to your agent. <laughs> that's great. Name, Misha. Really? Misha yeah, that's fantastic. Misha. Yeah. But every person I've met has just played a pivotal point in my right. career. Right. Like uh, Heidi at High Drinks. Heidi Johnson, shout out. The one and only. Yes. Yes. And then Carmen Acosta, she's a really good friend. She Mm -hmm. helped me, like, you know, get the art show the way I wanted it to look like. Andrew from Think Space, he's an awesome person. So it's just crazy because I've met all these people at the right time and at the right place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have a toy drop in the future? I do. I have two of them. You know how it is when you ship from overseas, it's taking a while. And yeah. I feel bad because I had a pre-sale and people bought them. So I want to just keep telling people, it's coming, it's coming. Right, so, right, right. But the longer I keep saying it, the more of a douchebag I feel. <laughs> but it, it is coming. Well, but but they know. also knew. You told them, like, you know, you, you know you, they knew. They knew. I know. So it's, uh, it's like one of those things like I, I want to have it here so that way people know that, hey, it's legit. It's here. I plan to have it either this month or next month, but it's on its way. Yeah. So All right, people. You hear it. It's on its way. Be patient. Come on. <laughs> well, that's great. So yeah. so with two toy drops in the future and one previous toy drop, I, I got to imagine you've been to Designer Con at some point, right? I have. Yeah. yeah. Did it last year. Great. Right. Yeah. Well, I miss them for whatever reason. I miss seeing you there. I'm, I'm sorry. We had a boot there and we go uh, every year. We love Ben and crew and Ben is amazing. Yeah. Ben's a, yeah, he's, he's, he's my neighbor. He just lives over here. We never see each other, but we've known each other a while and such a great guy. And again, you know, such a testament to following your passion, right? I mean, he just yes. started designer con in a, in a 1500 square foot room, you know, in Pasadena in, you know, 20 years ago, whatever, 25 years ago. And it just grew and grew and grew because he loved toys. Like, that's it, you know? Well, you want to know the funny thing is when I did, I want to say it was 2016, 2017, I did Designer Con. Mm-hmm. Ben bought one of my pieces, like an original. Yeah. And I always remind him of it, but I maybe he forgets or whatnot. But that was like my introduction to designer con and he's created such an amazing product that people can get behind. And it's awesome because it brings everyone from the art world. It's kind of like a comic con, but on steroids. Totally. Yeah. And it has such integrity. I mean, only somebody like Ben could pull it off because it comes from a place of love and passion for the Mm -hmm. art form. It's not just like some company trying to serve a market you know, he's a true believer, a practitioner, collector, you know, an advocate, you know, and he's created a space to let artists shine, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that energy comes through and it's fun for the whole family and all that. I mean, it has all of yeah. the ticks, all the boxes for a wonderful experience of, of positive energy. It's truly like a melting pot of just diversity because you got these overseas vendors now that come to designer con and sell their product. Yep. So that's amazing. Well, and it's, yeah, it's grown and grown and the move to Anaheim, you know, really helped to accelerate a lot of that stuff. I know there was like with change with growth with, you know, making with leading, you know, you have Mm -hmm. to take risks and it was a risk moving to Anaheim. I know a lot of people, even myself, I was like, Oh, you know, is it going to compromise the vibe? (laughs) Because the, you know, that, that vibe in Pasadena was so nice, but you know, but man, he really, you know, has brought it to Anaheim and the energy is still, still real, still there. We love designer con and this year is different because they're moving. I don't know if the date, usually it's the, what is it like the two weeks before November or before Thanksgiving. And now it's like week or two before Christmas. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Cause last year it was the same date as complex con. Right. And now closer to Christmas. So they're, they're testing the waters. Yeah. yeah, And that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. Well, Ezra Brown, I tell you what, man, you are a testament to testing the waters. And I just hope and believe that people listening are going to be inspired by this and in your story, you know, to be able to, to step out and come out no matter where you're at in life, you know, and having that courage 
to make that jump, make that leap, whatever it is. I mean, it might not might, might not be art. It might be, you know, heck, you finally mm-hmm. want to double down and become that, you know, become a nurse or a doctor or whatever it is, you know. And, you know, because we only have so much time on this planet, you know, why not make it count, right? Yeah, most definitely. And that's the whole key issue. It's like you got to make the best of what it is you got with the time you've got. That's it, brother. Well, you're doing that. And, you know, before we go, please tell our listeners where they can find you online. What are your socials? Where can we find you? My social is at Ezra Brown on Instagram. And then my website is EzraBrown.com. And just to be super clear, Ezra is spelled E-Z-R-A Brown, B-R-O-W-N. Guys, go go find Ezra online. Follow him. Buy his artwork. Get with the program, people. <laughs> if you don't know, you you're good. You better find out. Get over there, please. <laughs> hey, I was gonna ask you, what's that piece behind you? Oh yeah, man, that's a Phantom Artist. You know, famously did the uh, Rage uh, album cover. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, my dear friend and colleague and business partner, artist by the name of Man One, here in LA. You know, he had a gallery for about ten years uh, called Crew West Gallery. I was a kind of a, you know, partner in that a little bit. And so anyway, so Phantom Artist was uh, one of the artists that would show at the space. And I managed to get that piece for a song. Uh, Phantom hooked me up. I just That's love so it. Awesome. Isn't, that, isn't that awesome? It says, I don't know if you can read it. It says yeah. Lost Angeles, you know. Yeah, it kind of. That's why I was asking because it's like I kept trying to read it. But I didn't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Lost Angeles. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, he's awesome. He's awesome. <laughs> Brother, you're awesome too. Thank you so much. I look forward to meeting you someday. Please hit me up when you're in LA and you know, we'll try to hook it up, do something. I'm so stoked about your your podcast dropping soon. You know, I'll be sure to let you know so that you can share it as well. And thank you, brother, for taking, you know, out important time of your busy schedule to come on. Thanks to Heidi Johnson of Hijinx PR for hooking yeah, us up and bringing you, us. A, this episode is sponsored by Heidi Johnson at Hijinx PR. <laughs> nice. Heck yeah. We love having you on, brother, and have a beautiful day. What uh, What are you working on today? I have a piece, well, the, the Hawaii piece I got to get going. Get with it? Okay. <laughs> when you go out there, when is uh, Pow Wow Hawaii? It's in May. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going out there or not. I got to see if the wife lets me go. <laughs> well, yeah, take her and she'll let you go. <laughs> right? Happy yeah. wife, happy life. Trust me. I, I know yeah, all about that. Definitely. All right, brother. Great talking. And we'll please come back sometime. All right? Most definitely. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.